Welcome to This Week in Photo. Bandwidth for this podcast is brought to you by CashFly at C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com. This episode is brought to you by Squarespace, the all-in-one platform that makes it fast and easy to create your own professional website, portfolio, or online store. For a free trial and 10% off, just go to squarespace.com and use the offer code TWIP. This episode of This Week in Photo is brought to you by lynda.com. Learn what you want, when you want, with access to thousands of online video courses, including a wide range of photography topics and skills. For seven days of free, unlimited, in-depth courses, visit lynda.com slash twip. That's lynda, L-Y-N-D-A dot com slash twip. This week on TWIP, a Kickstarter project hopes to revitalize the digital photo frame. Photographer Doug Gordon is in hot water again for plagiarism and a look at some first images from Sony's curved sensor. It's Monday, July 14th, 2014, and this is TWIP. Welcome back to TWIP. I am your host, Frederick Van Johnson. Joining me today on the show to discuss the world of photography, or at least the goings-on in this, the world of photography this week, are Mr. Yevgeny Chabotarov and Mr. Doug K. Hey, guys. How you doing? Very good. How are you, Frederick? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Um, yeah. So, Yevgeny, yeah. Yevgeny, let's start with you, man. I know you, every time you come on, there's some changes in the world that you work in, which is the 500 Pix world, right? So what what's going on now? What's new with you? Uh, as usual, tons of new stuff. So <laughs> I, I'm like, we never stop working. Uh, I'm still at the office, though I'm alone, but uh, working on the new product called Discussions. So coming up pretty soon, maybe in a week or two, um, going to be our biggest launch of the year again and this is the you know groups or discussions whatever you call them uh, we'll start with discussions so you'll be able to have critiques and you'll be able to have local groups um, something that people ask for a long time so we're finally getting uh, to release that that's cool that's cool is that uh, is there some documentation on your site or a blog post or something that people can go check uh, out? nothing yet so you can go on 500px.com and opt in to get uh, the first look at that when it's ready so okay. expect that in the next couple of weeks sweet all right well welcome to the show it's always good to have you same here thanks all right, and also my good buddy over there, Mr. Doug K. Hey, Doug, what's happening in your world? Well, I've been busy, Frederick. You know, I was looking at my notes. I haven't been on This Week in Photo for about six months. Uh, no, been, I feel like I talk to you every couple of days. Well, yeah, we do. We do, but I haven't been on the show since January. So anyway, it's fun to be wow. back. Wow, yeah. we'll have to fix that. We'll have to fix that. I was looking at what have I done since then? Well, I think I've left out a continent or two from my list here, but I've been to Maui to shoot humpbacks. Uh, my second trip to Cuba. Did I? I was a student in a workshop, a great workshop with Jay Mazel in New York City that I just loved. Yeah. I've uh, been doing a lot of teaching, and uh, I am one, as you are, one of the initial uh, masters in Trey Ratcliffe's Arcanum. Mm -hmm. which has been fascinating to see that evolve. And we've been doing all about the gear every two weeks for a little over a year now. I know. it's The time is flying, and the gear keeps flying at us. And I, you're, I've been following you on Google+, and you are like putting the Sony a7S 
through its paces. And from the post that I see up there, you seem to be pretty excited about it. Yeah. Is that, is that the case? That's right. We're getting ready to record that review. I'm getting my notes together, and uh, that should be live, oh, about a week after this weekend photo comes out. All right. Well, cool. I'm looking. Don't spill it. I'm looking forward to uh, hearing what your thoughts are. So I, I won't tell you a word. <laughs> Cool. So uh, what's up with me? So in my world, I had a chance to head up to Petaluma yesterday, uh, Petaluma, California, and hang with Leo Laporte from This Week in Tech. I was on, I was a guest on his show on, on Twit, which is kind of weird. You know, it's kind of like, you know, I don't know. It's like Leo, I look at him as like one of the main characters that formed this whole industry of podcasting. And to be sitting kind of co-hosting with him is kind of, you know. It's very, you know, I felt very honored to be up there. I don't know. Now, Leo's cool. He's always gracious, and he's always, you know, he's Leo. Leo's the same off-air as he is on-air. So <laughs> it was a good time. We talked about some cool stuff, um, technology-related, so I won't go into it now. Although we did talk about one photography-related thing. Um, he brought up this, this uh, what was it? So Google Glass, there's this company that developed this accessory for Google Glass that connects to your forehead so you can take pictures by just thinking (laughs) (laughs) so I was like and it's like this thing that comes around from the glass and attaches right here so that you could just think and I'm like yeah well you'll have to watch the episode of twit to find out what I said it was pretty interesting Uh, we're ready for the google implant oh my god yeah yeah where is it all going where is it all going um, all right, guys, we've got lots of news to, to talk about this week. Before we do that, I want to thank our first sponsor for this episode of TWIP, and that's our friends over at Squarespace.com. This episode is brought to you by Squarespace, the all-in-one platform that makes it fast and easy to create your own professional website, portfolio, or online store. For a free trial and 10% off, just go to Squarespace.com and use the offer code TWIP. And remember, the new Squarespace metric app for iPhone and iPad allows you to check site stats like page views, unique visitors, and social media follows. And with the blog app, you can make text updates, tap and drag images to change layouts, and monitor comments on the go. You can start a free trial. You don't need a credit card. You can start building your website today. Then, when you decide to sign up for Squarespace, just make sure to use the offer code TWIP, that's T-W-I-P, to get a full 10% off and to show your support for This Week in Photo. And we'd like to thank Squarespace for their support. Squarespace is everything you need to create an exceptional website. All right, gents, the first story is about a Kickstarter project. It's from a, a company called EO1, and basically they have, they're running a Kickstarter to reinvent the uh, digital picture frame. You guys, you, know, you guys have seen these things in Target, all over the place, where it's, usually it's no bigger than 8x10, and you know they put the cheapest display they can put in it. Maybe if you're lucky, they'll put some some a, a CF slot on it, or maybe some onboard storage, and some crappy transitions. Right? <laughs> and that's what you get. Some of the better ones that I've seen over the years do stuff. You know, they might be Wi-Fi enabled, so you can plug them into you know some some online photo share or something. Well, this company is, is they kicked off a Kickstarter. This thing has a 23-inch 1080. Um, HD display, a smart display, 
Um, it's got an awesome. Well, it's, it will come in a, a variety of frames, and these are actually cool-looking kind of designer frames. Um, yeah, 1920 by 1080. It's running Android on a one gigahertz processor with three dedicated graphics accelerators. It's got one gig of RAM, two gigs of flash storage, and it uses Bluetooth and Wi-Fi. And if you back the campaign, um, this again, it's a Kickstarter. So if you back it, you'll get one for 300 bucks, but it's going to retail for around 500 bucks. Now I want to throw this at you guys because. First of all, I want to know, Doug. Let's let's start with you. Have you ever purchased a digital picture frame or been given one? And if so, had you have you used it? Oh uh, yeah, I got one when they first came out. I'm guessing this is what do you think? Maybe four or five years ago. Would yeah, you think that's about yeah, or right. More. Yeah. And I got one and loaded it up with a bunch of JPEGs, and I gave one to my mother. In fact, you know, some stuff. Uh, and. Uh, subsequently completely stopped using it. I haven't checked with mom to see what she's up with, up to, but um, uh, yeah, it's something I tried and got I got past. Yeah, I mean, uh, part of, there's a couple of issues that I had when I had one. It was, first of all, the, the, the display didn't do the photos justice that you want to display on there, so they looked crappy, and then it was too small, and then the transitions, at least the one I had, the transitions didn't look great. And it was too dim. Plus, you had to give it power. You know, it was. Yeah, the, you know, the iPad came out, and I think the iPad killed the picture frame. Yeah, yeah. Because everything, you know, that even the first iPad, everything looks so good on that. Right. And you know, the, so why have the picture frame? You know, what are you going to put it up on your wall? And as you said, then you had to have a, a power cord running out of the thing. Yeah. Um, it wasn't quite right. I want one. I mean, like these, Evgeny, when you see this, especially coming from a 500 pick standpoint and the, all the crazy, amazing images that show up on 500 picks. By the way, Evgeny, uh, I was talking to Leo yesterday and he was talking about, he just got back from Hawaii and he's like, you know, where should I post these photos so that I could share, you know? Of course I said 500 pics. You know what his response was? His response was the same that I told you, I think around the first yeah. time you came on TWIP was, you know, all the photos up there are awesome, and I don't want to. <laughs> they're too good. I don't want to put my images up there. So, oh. so, so anyway, about the picture frame, what do you think? I mean, it, is this something that might release the photos from their online cage and and put them in your living room? You know, it's funny. First of all, all the current picture frames they just they just garbage, right? This is they're all horrible. That's why they never caught on. Yeah. But for this one, I saw it actually a couple of days ago, and my first thought was, why we haven't heard from those guys? Why they haven't reached out to us about the uh, getting our photos on, on their platform? Because there is National Geographic, there is a lot of other, there's like a few other archives that they're tapping into, yeah. and we haven't heard from those. Um, I'm sure but, you will after this show. Trust me. <laughs> <laughs> my Twitter is right here. Uh, there you go. And uh, with all that, you know, I looked it up on Kickstarter. I think it's really interesting. I think the uh, the company, the name is pretty cool, Electric Objects, mm -hmm. and the overall uh, kind of like idea of high tech frame that blends seamlessly with in in a house. I think might be really interesting for like higher end homes. It mm -hmm. wouldn't look good in like old school old type houses but in some modern apartment might look might look really really cool 
Yeah, yeah, and you get. I bet you know the the first folks that will start adopting these are these you know high end hotel chains, you know like the W or some of the boutique hotels where you walk in, you're like, whoa, there's pictures on the wall, you know, and they move, you know. So yeah, maybe, I, maybe. yeah, they yeah. still stuck with the docks for the old iPhone chargers, you know, the the ones that you get there. Right. Uh, anyway. <laughs> yeah, but you know what? I was I was looking at this price wise, and how big is this thing? Twenty three inch, right? So yeah, you go to some framing shop or Michaels or something. Is this, you know a, a retailer here in the U.S. called Michaels where you can go get prints framed? And depending on what you bring in there, like for example, I brought in a couple of my old military certificates to have framed and matted, you know, an archival safe and all that. I mean, for a couple, you're looking way over $500, you know, yeah, yeah. for just some frames and some mats. And now they're talking about, you know, HD display hanging on your wall with a custom frame or a, at least a boutique frame, a gig of RAM in this thing, and Bluetooth and Wi-Fi. Not that I'm going to put my, you know, separation paperwork on the wall in this thing, but like you said, wouldn't it be great to plug in my 500px feed and yeah. put this on the wall or even put three or four of them next next to each other on the wall. Make a little display. Maybe three panoramas. Yeah. Of course, panoramas. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, from the comments that I've heard is that people can do the same stuff for half the price if they don't, if they don't mind the wires and stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, you can have a cheap display. You can have, I don't know, a cheap uh, Chromecast computer or something like that and just run it for 150 bucks or so. Wow. So it's still on the higher end. But I agree, like, you know, when I went to the framing shop and they charged me 200 bucks for a frame, I'm like, thanks. <laughs> that would be my first and last frame that I do there. Exactly so, what I said. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a little bit overkill for, uh, for real framing. So I think it might, you know, catch on with people who are actually going to framing shops like you. Yeah, yeah, totally. Now, now Doug, one of the, I think it was the last TWIP or one of the, one of the most more recent TWIPs, we talked about the idea of the smart glass. And that's that's the glass that you can apply an electric current to, and it will either go opaque or be clear, you know, that kind of thing. And then I, you know, my brain starts thinking about Google Glass and these sort of heads-up technologies that are mm -hmm. out there that that allow us to interact with things in ways that we wouldn't have ordinarily been ever to, been able to interact with them. So when I look at something like this, I'm thinking, you know, like science fiction movies. I want to wake up and have the windows in my bedroom be opaque until I say some command and then they just get clear. Um, I want the picture frames on my walls built into the wall, not frames, built into the wall showing art that's reflective of whatever my mood is. I want to look in the the mirror in the bathroom and have data showing up on, you know, like, hello, Frederick, here's the weather for today. <laughs> and by the way, your first appointment is to record all about the gear with the K11. You know, you want one of those minority report screens. Thank you. I want to live in the minority report. You know? Well, I, I'm going to take a, a, I have a different opinion. I'm, I'm pretty underwhelmed by this. I think this is a very 20th century concept. Uh, not a 21st century concept. It's essentially a, it's a medium-sized picture frame that's expensive. Mm -hmm. uh, I bet the, the everyone has seen it, and maybe the quality is very good. But 23 inches an odd size. You know, it's um, that's it's, the small it's, 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 IMAC essentially. 
right? Well, it's, yeah. That's the and size of the entry-level IMAX screen. Well, you, you talked about the hotels, for example. You know, people are used to going in and seeing flat screens that are 32, 50 inches, that kind of stuff. And I don't think a 23-inch screen is going to excite people. I don't think for $500, you're not going to – I'm sorry. I don't believe that you're going to put four of them on your wall at $500 apiece. Right. Um, you've got better things to do with $2,000. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, I just I just think it's an it's it's expensive for what it is. Um, I think that something smaller might work, especially if it gets down below a hundred dollars. Mm-hmm. Other than that, I think you've got to go larger and keep this same price point. I think twenty three inches is a, is this desktop computer size, and I think the world is going away from this size. In, they're going smaller and larger. 23 inches is a, a weird size these days for any display. Evgeny, Doug K says size matters. What do you think? <laughs> well, actually, the first time I said it, it's a really good point, and I agree. Like, you know, if we're talking uh, homes, I have a couple of pictures at my place, and they are 30 by 30. Uh, one picture is 48 by 72 inches. So the bigger the picture, the more impact it makes Mm -hmm. and and now I imagine like 23 inch screen attached to the wall and it's gonna be really small so like I would probably ignore it for for the most days so I feel like yeah it might be actually a good point to for them to go bigger Um, you know 36 inches maybe uh, 42 or something like that something that is actually substantial um, but again, like it probably will be heavier, pricier, and harder to mount, and like all the other problems that comes with that. But I don't know. I mean, you think so? Forty-two inches. This this television behind me—it's a Sony television. Um, it's a late model. I think it's like last year's model, maybe maybe a little bit older. Um, and it's forty-two, and it those are cheap. I think that cam that that television you get for under four hundred dollars. For that, and it's HD. I mean, it's a smart. TV. Yeah, and you can use YouTube, that and you can everything. Use Chromecast, right? So, so you can use any apps. You can, uh, I don't know, stream whatever photo stream you want. Uh, it's connected probably to the internet or like you know, there's so so many. There's Android dongles. There is the uh, Chromecast. There is like there's Apple TV. Like there's so many of other things that can connect to the internet. Mm-hmm. And instead of I guess inventing the new stuff, you can use your TV instead. Yeah. So I went. I just went to the Costco website. I said, "Go to Costco and see what it costs for a TV." Here's a 46-inch TV for $400. Mm-hmm. So you know, you put the flat screen TV on the wall and you hook it up to a, you know, like say a Chromecast or an Apple TV or something like that, or, or you know, and you've got essentially the same thing. I think. Yeah. So, or you you're really daring and you take that TV to Michael's and have him put a frame on it for a thousand dollars. Well, but you know, you you talk about the future, and you talk about things like you know your your windows suddenly becoming pictures and that kind of stuff. Yeah, that's a lot more exciting. And you know, anyway, we go on. But I, I I just think this is this might so be an idea. Keep, keep that thought going, Doug. So what's what's the ideal if you were you know you had a new house built? You know, you're Tony Stark. You had a new house built. And you want to put some digital art on the wall, and you want to display your favorite 500 pics images from all your friends on your walls. What does that device look like? If you can't have it built in, let's say you have to buy something physical, what size and what capabilities does that device have? 
Well, uh, of course, I want the entire wall with seamless LED that emits no heat whatsoever and uses no electricity. Um, okay. And, of course, I'd want one, as you see, on the window side of the living room as well that could, you know, with a wave of the hands could become transparent or, or translucent. Yeah. Um, now, we've seen that. I don't know much about it, but, you know, we've seen these windows. I don't know if they have liquid crystal in them or what they are, but where you can make them translucent or, mm -hmm. or even opaque. Um, but, um, uh, yeah, I, I think, you know, the idea of a big screen that's integrated into a wall, which is what anybody in the graphics business tries to do for, you know, these big conferences, conventions, hotel things, um, you know, I'd love to have one of those in my living room. Yeah, I mean, every every time I go, my my one of my favorite hotels, if not my favorite hotel in Vegas, is the uh, oh god, now I forgot about it. It was the the hotel next to Mandalay Bay, but now oh, the Cosmo, the Cosmopolitan. So in the lobby of the Cosmopolitan, I mean, it's like LCD screen Nirvana on pillars, and they're all integrated and all that. And every time I go in there, I'm thinking. I want this in my house. I need this in my house. Evgeny, what's the ideal like display for you? Is it just a television that you, you know, you just pipe in a feed into or is it something more integrated into your home? Uh, look, if if you think holistically, my display is the phone. And like most people spend their days like this. <laughs> just like watching, reading, you know, looking at everything just on their phone, right? So, uh, it's it's four inch. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm sorry to say that. Uh, but ov overall, uh, you know, we've seen the Bill Gates. I think presented one of the visions like like you wanted maybe like 20 years ago with mm -hmm. the seamless walls and screens. It's still the dream for most people, I think. Yeah. Um, so I guess we'll see something happening in the next 10 years but again screens got larger right like you know we're using larger screens than we used 10 years ago um, so some things are happening <laughs> but yeah, look, yeah. the larger the better I mean like people go to IMAX for a reason right it's for the sound and for the big screen so uh, if you can have an IMAX experience at your home for whatever you're doing playing games or watching uh, movies yeah it's gonna be great yeah, yeah, I agree. There's so much cool stuff out there. I mean, I, I, I mentioned on a recent twip that I, I was recently given an Xbox One and, you know, got it all hooked up, wired through Comcast and all that. And the voice, I mean, I'm not that much of a gamer, though I was playing Wolfenstein earlier, I admit it, but <laughs> I'm not that much of a gamer yet. But the entertainment features in this thing are insane. I think it's severely mismarketed by Microsoft because it's like a, it's an entertainment hub that's voice activated. Like literally, I'm sitting on my couch and I'll say, you know, um, Xbox, go to Netflix. Boom, I'm watching Netflix. I don't have to shout it. I don't have to do anything, stand on one foot. Or I can say, Xbox, play Wolfenstein. You know, boom, I'm playing the game. Just like that. That kind of ease of use and friction-free UI, I'm starting to want in my entire house. Like, when I wake up, I want to be able to say, whatever command, turn on CNN or something without fumbling for a remote and doing all this crazy stuff. I, it should be voice activated. As I move through my house, I want to say, you know, go into night mode and have all the lights dim, the windows go opaque, and the fireplace comes on, you know, something. Or romantic mode, you know, pour some wine, you know. 
<laughs> I don't know. I mean, right? I mean, we're getting a little bit off topic, but isn't that the way it should be, Doug? Is, shouldn't it be like that? Is that science fiction? I, I would just like to get a multi-room DVR that works. Yeah. <laughs> I've been good, through two. Good luck. Them. Yeah. But I know I, I, I hear what you're saying. I think we'll get there. I think, you know, Apple and Google are certainly going into the home automation market. We're going to see a lot of that moving forward. Um, and it's going to be an exciting time. You know, we talk about, just to take it back to photography, you and I the other day were talking about how amazing it is. I mean, just in the one year that we've been doing all about the gear, think of how much things have improved in mirrorless cameras in just one year. Yeah. And this is, you know, just part of technology. Home automation is going to be on the same kind of uh, curve. Yeah. Yeah, it's good. It's you know, exciting. Apple Apple announced at the at the last Worldwide Developers Conference that they're enabling that sort of thing, and they're working with all you know Honeywell and and lots of home automation experts to integrate that kind of control into the next generation iPhones and iOS devices. But you know, that's cool. But I don't want the device involved. I just <laughs> I just want to talk to my house and have it work. <laughs> I don't know. All right, guys, let's move on. So this next story is about photography, bringing it full circle. So a couple of, uh, what was it, last year we did a story about plagiarism, specifically regarding uh, photographer Doug Gordon and Jasmine Starr. They were accused of of plagiarism, you know, in some cases uh, taking, I mean, I think at the very least it was taking ideas. At the very most there were some images um, and text that was copied verbatim from one site to another and, you know, uh, there are lots of mea culpas and apologies and tears and all that stuff, and we thought that was behind us. Unfortunately, it's not behind us. So um, basically, uh, so Doug, or Doug Gordon got caught again. Um, the popular website Photo Stealers, I'm going to read this out. So Doug Gordon is in hot water again. Um, the popular website Photo Stealers called him out once again for plagiarized content on his website, specifically in his bio section. Uh, those gave him that gave him the benefit of the doubt. The first time around are not necessarily going to give him a second chance. One of his sponsors, Nikon, he's a Nikon icon of imaging. They have removed him from the Nikon ambassadors list and. You know, folks like Gary Fong have come out to say that they're disappointed and disassociating themselves with him, all that kind of stuff. So for this panel, so yeah, the, the plagiarism stuff, we all know about that. If you want to read the gist and, you know, get into the, the fire and pitchforks that the Internet has out for Doug, you can go look at the comments on the site. We'll link to it from the blog post for this episode. But for this week in photo, I wanted to talk specifically about plagiarism and and how that how to interpret that. So let me put a finer point on it. So if an artist, a visual artist, say a photographer like us, takes, you know, you're going to do a composite. So you take several images and you make an art piece, right? So you take the eyes off of this and you put the nose off of this and you take a background from over here and it's not necessarily your work. You're remixing other artists' work, which has been done for centuries, right? You're remixing it into a collage. That new piece of art is now ostensibly your work now because it comes from pieces of the other work. Um, ideally, you would cite the, the sources, but in today's world, it's not necessarily necessary. So on the visual side, that's what happens. On the aural side, 
with audio, there's been remixing and sampling and mashups and all that stuff that have been going on for years, and it seems to be okay. We had a little blurb, I don't know, like five years ago about, you know, sampling and how much can artists sample and all that stuff. But by and large, a lot of songs you hear today have a little bit of other songs in them, and we're okay with that. But it seems like when it gets down to text, that's when people's feathers get get raised. So if you remix text and take pieces of a paragraph and remix them to make your own, like in the case of Doug Gordon, then that becomes plagiarism and copyright infringement and all that. Now, yeah, I, I couch this under the umbrella of, yes, whenever, if you're going to look at someone's work and be inspired by it or use a piece of it legally in your work, yes, you should cite the source always. But Doug, I'll, I'll put this on you first. Where's the line? And was was Doug Gordon, if, you know, I'm sure you read this and you saw where the copying pieces, what he copied. Was he wrong in doing what he did? Or was he just doing like high school students do all the time and saying, okay, I'm going to take this and change this, speaking from not personal experience, but I'm going to change this and make it my own. What do you think? Well, uh, I think the the latter is true in that you know he seems to have just picked sentences, entire sentences, or you know changed a few words here and there. But it's pretty clear that it's a copy of the original. Yeah. Um, what's What's sad here is that it's it's really disappointing in the world of professional. Um, you know, let's not worry about the students for the time being. Mm -hmm. But the the fact that that somebody would would feel that they can't write their own bio, that they have to take copy from somebody else, possibly a client, uh, to do this, um, is it, it just shows something about him. And I don't know that, I don't think we necessarily need to pursue it because the guy, there's a problem there. You right. Know, he right. obviously thought, thought at some point it was okay to take pictures. I mean, that's a fairly criminal activity right. to simply take a picture and claim it as your own. Um, you know, I, I think people should go to jail for things like that. Yeah. This is this is a little more pathetic, I think. Um, you know, to to think you have to literally use somebody else's copy in your bio. So yeah, I, it, I feel I feel sorry for the whole situation. Yeah, and it gets it gets really. I mean, I I agree with you. It's it's disappointing and and sad on a bunch of different levels. But you know, I also look at it from the standpoint of you know this guy was a leader. I mean, he was at He's a, a speaker at WPPI. This isn't just some random photographer that, you know, hey, I'm out shooting a wedding every month and blah, blah, blah. You know, this is somebody who's purported to be a leader in the industry and running workshops and telling people how to become a good photographer, spreading the good word of photographer photography, per se. And now, you know, you caught caught with your pants down, you know. You know, uh, Let's be really clear. This this is not a mashup. This is not the the question of is it okay to, you know, recombine pieces from other uh, artists for the sake of creating new art. This is somebody who simply doesn't have the confidence or the creativity to write his own copy. Right. Uh, and that's, like I say, that's sort of sad. Yeah, that is sad. Evgeny, you you saw this when you when you saw this. First of all, what did what did you think? And then secondly, the whole idea of the mashup versus plain plagiarism slash theft. Where do you fall on that? Yeah, uh, well, actually, I you know, looked up your bio, and I liked it so much, so I copied it 
you know, to my site. So <laughs> I hereby give you permission to use my bio, you know. Just just change the name and like you know location and stuff like that. Everything else matches, sort of. Use a photo too, please. Change <laughs> sort, the photo. So, sort of matches, yeah. yeah. Uh, but you know, you have a really good talking point in the doc, and it says, "Should we care about Doug?" Doug, and mm-hmm. I think the answer is just no. And like we, yeah. you know, it's it's again, it's pathetic and. Uh, look, there is 26 letters in English language. You can reuse them and remix them any way you like. But like copying the whole paragraphs of someone else's life, <laughs> that yeah. seems like a little too much. Though you know, in, in uh, I've seen it happening many, many times, where people would just copy. Uh, I don't know whether it's uh, just I don't like I don't know what those people think, but I've seen people copying. For example, my uh, my profile picture and mm. my biography and pose as me, but with a different name. <laughs> and like, why would you do that? So there's some some questions that are still left unanswered, and I still have no idea why people would do anything like that. Like pose as someone else, uh, living someone else's life, uh, especially on the internet. Like uh, this guy is a little bit different, but it just it just like incredible what what people do yeah i mean that's why it just it, you're first of all yes you're right we should not care about Doug Gordon we should just you know let him fade to black you know per se but if that's going to happen but you know i look at this and what you were just talking about Evgeny makes me think about people that are new coming into photography so you're you know i want to be a wedding photographer and you know, it's that whole catch-22, like when you're trying to go get your first job, you know, you can't get your first job until you have experience, and you can't get experience until you get your first job, right? So until you break that loop, you're kind of SOL. So so you go and steal someone else for it. Right, that's, yeah, what, we'll, that's what I'm before, saying, you know? Yeah. Right, so is that, what should those people do that are like, you know what, um, I'm going to, and we've seen this, we've talked about this on Twitter before, people whole like just taking other folks portfolio and saying it's their it's theirs so that they can get the job you know what first of all what do we do about those folks and then in the case of Doug Gordon and folks that come after him and there will be folks that come after him that get caught what should the punishment be should it just be you know we let the internet ostracize you or should there be something more punitive it's a good question. I think you know, public shaming on the internet is pretty powerful in itself, uh, mm. and you know, there's a lot of trolls and a lot of uh, kind of like you know, pitchforks coming out for everything that happens online. Yeah, uh, and some things that don't happen. In, yeah, and some things that don't happen. But in case of like wedding photographers stealing portfolios, uh, you know, the the victims would be the clients who uh, bought into the job or like you know uh, had an assignment for the wedding day and in the end they get horrible pictures that are not representative of the reality right because those are not real clients and uh, you know if that would be my wedding day and I got horrible pictures instead of the ones that I expected it's it's kind of like first of all my fault for not filtering that that and enough, but I would probably sue you know for uh, for things like that for misrepresentation and whatever. Like I'm not a lawyer, I'll probably have to find out what what I'll sue for. Uh, but there is you know um, there is probably some kind of like bad business that uh, that will come out of that. Yeah, Doug. Doug, flip the bit. Take what Yevgeny just said about you know your 
you're the client and you get screwed by one of these people that are purporting to be something that they're not. If you are a consumer, before you pull the trigger and sign the contract with a photographer, how do you, is there a way to safeguard? I mean, is there a way to like have someone prove if they're, you're sitting in Starbucks getting ready to sign a wedding photographer and they bring their book to show you, these are some examples of some shots I've done. And you're like, wow, that's amazing. It looks a little bit like, you know, David J or Sarah Francis work, but you know, it's, <laughs> it's kind of good. So, okay, I'll sign. Here's my check, my deposit. How does the consumer protect themselves against that? Uh, in this particular case, I think it's fairly simple. Um, you first of all, you're going to get references, yeah, and you're going to get references from other clients. And it's not good enough just to have the photographer show you the book that he produced for a wedding. You actually have to talk to the 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 bride, perhaps of of that, and say, you know, how was this photographer? Was he or she, you know, did it, did you? How was it, what was it like to work with them? That's really important. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, anybody who's doing a wedding probably has a wedding planner. And I would definitely want to make sure that there's a relationship with the wedding planner and the photographer, that they both had faith in one another because that's going to be a critical relationship in pulling off a wedding shoot. Yeah. So um, I, this is one case where I think it's not too hard to, to you know, check the bona fides and, and know what you're getting. Um, unfortunately, there are people who don't go to that much trouble, but they, they should. Yeah, wedding planners, I I mean, I think I know maybe one person over the years I've been on the planet that has hired a wedding planner. Most people, you know, most of the people that I know, at least from my circle, are would do it themselves. You know, they go into bridezilla mode and, you know. <laughs> yeah, well, fine. But, like, but, you know, check check with at least a couple of other clients. Yeah. Uh, because Because just looking at the book and the photographs is not sufficient to really um, – to really know what it's like to work with the person under pressure. Yeah, yeah, because yeah, it's scary. Because it's the web, right? I mean, you could go on the go on the web and build a portfolio in a couple of hours one night, and uh, you know, post them up and say, "Hey, this is mine. Here's my PayPal link. I'm taking deposits, and you're in business until you get caught. And then when you get caught, you'll never work in this town or on this planet again, right? You've yeah, getting... Don't get me started on the potato salad. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> there's the other side of the internet as well, right? So yeah, yeah. Well, well, tell us what that is for the folks that fifteen thousand dollars. Uh, I don't know what's the current status, but the guy posted a Kickstarter campaign for making of potato salad and started making, uh, I guess, like you know, raking a lot of cash. Uh, because people like fun things and give money to random, uh, to I guess like to random things like this. So it, it shows the whole kind of like internet thing and how it rolls. And we, like we were looking at the other Kickstarter campaign, uh, mm-hmm. like it's all, it's all a matter of I guess like luck and how fun you make it to the mm-hmm. other internet people. Yeah. So it's all it's all weird and random, I guess. Weird and random. Maybe that'll be the, the title of this episode. <laughs> it's all weird and random. <laughs> A cool. little bit, yeah. Yeah, yeah, cool. All right, guys, let's let's move on from this. So, Doug Gordon, if you're watching this, shame on you, you know, and uh, you should apologize to people. Um, anyway, let's move on to story number three. The story number three is about Sony. So here's the blurb. Sony, last week, um, the first image taken with their new revolutionary curved sensor was released in an article, well, the first image was, published by Nikkei. The new curved sensor was created to mimic eyes, which led to several advantages. 
For example, the sensor shape allows for cheaper, smaller lenses with wider apertures while simultaneously getting rid of vignetting and aberrations. It also reduces the dark current, quotes, um, thereby reducing noise. All right, so the rumors say that we're going to see this curved sensor on the upcoming Sony full-frame RX2. And that's Doug, you reviewed the RX1, right, I believe, on yeah. All About the Gear. That's the... The, it's awesome. It's an amazing full-frame camera with a fixed lens on it um, that makes some pretty amazing pictures. And they're, it looks like they're, the, if the rumors hold, Sony's going to update it with this new curved sensor for the next revision of that. So, Evgeny, I'm going to throw this to you first. So, we've seen curved sensor, curved, it's curved like the 2014-2015 thing because we've seen curved Curve televisions. Ball. From Panasonic, whoever, we've seen curved sensors now, curved smartphones, you know. So what's with the curves? I mean, is, is that just, is, are curves necessary, like, technologically for a better experience or image quality? Or is this just something new that these manufacturers can put in their bullet list to make you feel like you need to buy this thing? No, I think it's a whole new process. So, look, I just got a thought in my head. Uh, if you look at the human body... It's all curves. <laughs> There's not a single like straight line. Unless you're in the military, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, but otherwise, it's you know the eye is curved. So a lot of optics and physics were mimicking the how the eye works to get yeah. you know the aperture and uh, things like that. Just kind of like using the physics of the world to make that. So I think if if we can make or if Sony can make curved sensors uh, to make for better cameras, uh, so be it, right? Like, I would love uh, a camera like that. Uh, I've heard that it's not going to be ready that soon for RX2 or anything like that, but, you know, we'll see. It's all the rumor mill right now. Mm -hmm. um, if, the, if, if, you know, if the lenses are smaller, I'm all for it. I hate carrying, like, all the heavy lenses. So, yeah. well, and if the cameras are smaller... Yeah. There's yeah. an easy fix. Just go with micro four thirds, and you you know everything's smaller. You're done. <laughs> uh, I'm looking at the uh, D810, so oh, yeah. I, might, I might go to the big, big, big. You're, the, you're shooting with the yeah. with the big guns there. Yeah. Yeah. Doug, what about you? Is is curved the way of the future? Are we gonna start seeing curved displays and curved laptops and you know? <laughs> <laughs> well, no. I, I think that in a word, I, no. I think I think this this sensor sounds very cool. I I can't imagine how they make this thing. I mean, that's a remarkable feat, right? Just the fact that you can make a sensor that way, given that it's mostly coming out of silicon. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, it does solve some very significant technical problems that both sensor manufacturers and lens manufacturers have been struggling to overcome since. Uh, the beginning of photography, uh, because you know, sheet film, roll film, digital sensors all have been flat, and of course, it's not the natural thing for these lenses because the lenses want to have a consistent distance and a consistent angle from the focal point of the lens, which is you know between the lens and the sensor. So, yeah. it's a technological significant, technologically a significant breakthrough. Um, it is going to require that lenses be redesigned. Yeah. Uh, to take advantage of it, or actually not even take advantage of it. Of course, lenses today are designed for flat sensors. So 
if it comes out as something like the RX2, that makes sense because yeah. um, it, it's going it, to requ require a special kind of lens for it. Yeah, yeah, that's crazy. I mean, it's, it's cool, you know. And why why is it that we're only seeing these kinds of innovations come out of Sony, right? The, what was it last year? The first, I mean, the the R, the uh, the A7R that you're or A7S that you're testing right now, right? Yeah. It's the first of its kind. The A7 and the A7R before it were the first of their kinds. They're they're experimenting on all different and a bunch of different fronts in photography. Why aren't Nikon and Canon and other guys throwing stuff against the wall to see what sticks? Yeah. Evgeny, well, what do you think? Or Doug, whoever, uh, take it. Go ahead, Evgeny. Well, it's I think it's pretty simple. Like if you look at the Sony's market share, it's pretty small. So mm -hmm. if you want to grow it, you have to figure something out. And Sony was never really strong in bigger cameras, as in, you know, Canon and Nikon would be really strong in wildlife and sports, mm -hmm. just like dominating the sports. And there was like that joke that, you know, people were uh, in, in FIFA were care, um, having the Sony shirts on and still shooting Nikon and Canon just because that's the default uh, for sports. Right. Um, so if that's not the case, then you go the other way, like smaller cameras, uh, I guess more interesting sensors, and like more sensitivity, more frames per second, better autofocus, just kind of like trying to figure out what's important to consumers yeah. or prosumers and just, you know, see if it works. And I, and I think with A7, A7R, what, what's the price of the RX1? Is it like in 3000 range? Yeah, it is up there. Yeah, I think it's, it's so the, above 2000 Yeah, it's 20 So the RX2 might be even higher, right? So it might yeah, be like no, really, really premium. The RX1, the, the Mark II that we reviewed, I think, it's an overpriced camera. There's no doubt about it. But yeah. the image quality is extraordinary. So, you know, it's like the uh, Rolex watches or the fancy loudspeakers. You're paying a real yeah. premium for it. Is it worth the money? Technically, no. But um, the, the I, image, I, mean, I know, peop I know yeah. people who shoot medium format, uh, and the only small sensor camera, meaning 35-millimeter equivalent, that they use is an RX1. Uh, you know what, I think, you know, what Sony makes with this camera is their, like, flagship newest technologies, so we might see a curved sensor there, but unlikely we'll see it in other cameras for the next few years, so it's just like a, an experimental uh, and the latest technology that Sony has might just go into RX2, overpriced right. technological marvel. <laughs> Yeah. Let's remember one thing that that Sony may be small in the camera market, but they pretty much own the sensor market. They are making sensors for, for Nikon. Nikon. Yeah. Um, there are rumors that they're making sensors for both Olympus and Panasonic. Fuji, of course, makes their own sensors that are very good and use a different technology. Canon is the one old school manufacturer that still makes sensors and makes some very good ones. Yeah. Um, you know, the 70D has a, a real breakthrough sensor in terms of autofocus. But Sony is, I mean, on All About the Gear, we do more shows on Sony gear than anything else. And it's not because I own it or like it. It's because that's where all the new stuff is coming from. Yeah. And yeah. Um, this, is, this is interesting. I, I agree with Evgeny. This is, this is more of a proof of concept uh, at this stage because no other manufacturer is going to adopt this simply because their lens line wouldn't be compatible with it. But it's, um, we'll all see. We'll see where it goes. I, I have a lot of, uh, I have a lot of curiosity, let's say, about it. Yeah, well, it's good. I mean, it's, this is definitely an industry that's not stagnating in terms of, 
you know, I mean, in aggregate, let's say. In some areas, it's stagnating with some manufacturers, but in <laughs> aggregate, overall, it seems to be moving forward at a fast clip. You know, with 4K, all this stuff is, is just mind-blowing. So, yeah, good stuff. So, Doug, speaking of all about the gear, what's... Uh, for the folks that may not have seen that show, tell us about that show a little bit. What is it? Yeah, All About the Gear is a show that you and I do. Uh, every two weeks, we review some new photography gadget. 90% uh, of the time, it's a camera. And we just published uh, the review of the Panasonic Lumix GH4, mm -hmm. a marvelous camera that also shoots um, 4K video. We had a guest for the first time. Dave Dugdale was on, the video guru of all such things, and it was a great show. Uh, and in a week, as I mentioned, we're going to publish the Sony A7S review. But we've done uh, 25 or so shows over the last year, and at the moment, it's only available on video. If you go to the thisweekinphoto.com page, you can see all the shows from there. Uh, and uh, at this point, like I say, it's, it's a video show because it's, it's visual. Yeah, and very shortly, you know, I, I guess I'll let the cat out of the bag. We're we're going to be flipping the switch on All About the Gear to make it a full podcast so that just like This Week in Photo, you'll be able to subscribe to the All About the Gear show in a completely separate feed from This Week in Photo. So, because right now, if you're, uh, if you're viewing this show, you're probably actually listening to this show. Mm -hmm. uh, I think we have far more listeners than we have viewers of the video, and that's the direction we're going. Yep, yep. And the audience will tell us if they like it, just like they told us they didn't like mm -hmm. Doug Gordon and his plagiarism. <laughs> <laughs> hopefully, hopefully we're a bit more original than that. We are much more original. You know, we can't help but be original. All right, guys. All right, it's time for some Q&A. This is where we answer listener questions that have been on our listeners' minds. This week's question comes to us from Joshua Lynn via our Google Plus community page, which, by the way, now has over eight thousand members so if you'd like to join us over there just head over there and uh, and join us and you can submit your questions too so this was an interesting question I was hoping you guys could help me with this because I, I couldn't quite grok what uh, Joshua was talking about so he says dynamic range camera options when should they be used and what is the impact to ISO settings and noise does this only affect JPEG? What do other systems call the setting, such as Nikon's D-lighting? He says the Fuji X-E2 has a setting for dynamic range that affects contrast and shadows. A high DR setting in a contrasty situation opens up shadows. A trade-off is when setting 400. Does some, do one of you guys write that in there? <laughs> it sounds like that's answering the question. The trade-off <laughs> is when setting 400 ISO DR to the minimum ISO is 800 for the image. So, so first of all, dynamic range as an image control. But me personally, maybe I'm old school, but for me it's been ISO, shutter speed, aperture, and uh, exposure compensation. So I don't know if I've ever played with anything like a dynamic range control on a camera. Evgeny, do you, I mean, on your Nikons, have you played with this stuff, like the D-lighting and all that? You know what? So the new camera, D810, it has an interesting setting that I was really keen to find out and I really want to use it when I get a camera. Mm -hmm. uh, it controls the tones, so it automatically measures the scene and makes sure, makes, uh, makes sure that your highlights are not overblown. So they're never too white. They're just like the perfectly exposed. Everything else oh, might be cool. a little darker, 
but at least you don't lose any data in, uh, in, in, the, in, your, uh, in your shot. So that is really cool, especially if you're shooting something fast moving where you don't have, uh, don't have time to check uh, your shot. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, whether it's wildlife or weddings, they have a lot in common. Um, and if you have something like that, I think it's it's really useful a feature. For Canon, I know that they have the similar setting, but it bumps the ISO to 200. Um, I'm actually not sure if it affects just the G, uh, JPEG or RAW, though in the end I ended up never using that. So I uh, would love to have that programmatically, uh, just so that my highlights would never be overblown. I think it's really cool. But overall, um, you know, I don't know how other cameras implement that. Yeah. Yeah, it sounds like what you're talking about is like a, like on a car, um, an RPM limiter. So you don't blow the image or blow the, blow the engine. It will limit it so that you can only, your RPMs can only go to a certain level. So you're talking about clipping kind of the same metaphor but applied to your highlights. So you can't... Or automatic uh, wipers. <laughs> or... <laughs> <laughs> or like something you, something you don't think about, right? But might help save you, uh, yes. or just like make it more convenient to you. So yes. yeah, yeah, I love it. Doug, you have anything to add to this for uh, Joshua's question? Well, uh, I have to admit I'm not an expert on DRO. Uh, Sony calls it dynamic range optimization, and there's oh. different names for it. Um, but uh, let me let me explain the part that that I'm not clear on this very important question of whether it's JPEG only or raw. I think it's only on JPEGs. Um, however, if it's if whatever dynamic range optimization you're using, if it changes the ISO, then it's obviously going to if you shoot raw plus JPEG at the same time, it's obviously going to affect it for both. But my understanding is that these dynamic range optimizers basically break the image up into smaller areas and analyze the contrast um, between the foreground and background subjects to do the kinds of things that Evgeny's talking about, which is hopefully protect the highlights. Now, what's tricky about this is that it sounds like it's doing the same thing as matrix metering does. Matrix metering is supposed to be able to figure out, you know, whether you have highlights or not, whether you're doing a silhouette or not. So I think that this is actually a step in the world of JPEG that's going beyond that. Uh, and that is, um, in, in particular, it is changing the mapping of the raw dynamic range, raw file dynamic range into that of the JPEG and shifting the highlights and shadows around at the point it makes a JPEG. Now, having said something like that that I'm not sure of, boy, have I opened myself up for the comments. Yes, you have. So I was just thinking that. I, I just <laughs> want to say today that thank you for your comment. I appreciate the fact that you know more about this than I do. Please keep the comments coming. So, you know, I, I think it might be a little easier uh, answer to that. Uh, a lot of people in Japan where all the cameras are made, uh, don't have computers, so they would print directly off the camera. That's why we have those weird Photoshop actions inside, like Nikon's, where you can change everything, because they would do it in the camera, and they would I just... I wondered like, who was using that stuff. Exactly. Like, no, nobody's here using this stuff. So, uh, because, you, you know, your workflow is always to put it on a computer, edit that a little bit, and maybe print it out. Uh, if you're in Japan, you're going to print it out right off the camera. 
and mm. that's that's what all these Photoshop options and uh, I guess the, the dynamic uh, range optimizer or like whatever dynamic light op optimizer is from the same areas. Just kind of like you know, get it in JPEG, print it out, forget about this. Yeah, I don't know. Listening to Doug, you know, if if I was somebody that was new to photography and just you know thinking about getting started. Doug, I think I would I would go take up stamp collecting after listening to you. <laughs> well, let me say, you know, I, I asked a, the the one of the questions in the show notes is regarding the Fuji XE2. So yeah. I have a good friend who has a, an XT1 Fuji, which has you know the same technology, and he says he uses it all the time. He's a serious photographer, but he often shoots JPEG, and he uses DRO and says it does a great job. Yeah. So. Um, I think Jenny might well be exactly right. It might be aimed at people who are shooting JPEGs, printing straight from the camera, and want to optimize the dynamic range to get the best tonal control that they can out of the image. So right out of the camera. Um, yeah. I, I think if, if people who are getting started should turn it on and shoot JPEG and love it. Yeah, and I know, you know, our, our good friend of the show, Mr. Julio Shorio from Small Camera Big Picture, he shoots with the Panasonic stuff and GH4 and all that, and he's a big proponent of shooting JPEG only mm -hmm. and tweaking the in-camera profiles to the specific looks that, you know, are kind of his signature looks, and then delivering finished files to a client directly off of the, the SD card. Is that Absolutely. Is that is that where things are going? You think? Are we moving? Are we coming full circle? A back away from raw and post processing into in camera processing? What do you think, Doug? Well, I for some people that's absolutely the case. I mean, look at the serious photographers who are still who are shooting on their iPhone. Uh, look at you, Frederick. You'll shoot on a small format camera. Uh, you'll run it through Snapseed or something and and push it out online. Yeah. So it's it's very good. There are a lot of people who. You know, either want the immediacy of it, they don't want to be bogged down with post-processing because, let's face it, cameras or cameras combined with mobile devices are extremely powerful today. Yeah. Cameras I have take better pictures than I'm capable of taking on my own. So, you know, um, for a whole class of people, perhaps the majority, this is the way to go. Love it. Love it. Cool stuff. All right, guys, I want to thank our second sponsor for this episode of This Week in Photo, and that's our good friends over at lynda.com. lynda.com helps you learn and keep up to date with your software. You can pick up brand new skills. You can explore new hobbies. And all of this is using their, you can do this using their easy-to-follow video tutorials. Whether you want to learn how to use Photoshop or improve your photography skills or manage your photos in Lightroom, lynda.com offers thousands of courses on a variety of topics. Like I said, you can learn software, I mean, and this can be in the creative genre, you can learn business skills, photography techniques, web design. We've got over 2,400 courses and they're adding new courses every week. lynda.com works directly with software companies to provide timely training, often on the same day that the new software versions are released. So you pick up some new software, you head over to lynda.com and learn how to use it and get up to speed with it the same day. And they offer courses for all levels, and they're adding new courses all the time. These courses are taught by industry experts. These are folks that know what they do, they're doing, plus they're folks that have been training photography and software for years and years. So they know how to get an idea out of their head into your head. 
and uh, their instructors are, like I said, accomplished professionals. Many of them are at the top of their fields, and they're passionate about teaching and training. Now, Linda's productions and their their courses are high quality video productions. They shoot them in studio. You know, like there's live action that's shot in studio and high quality screen capture for the the demonstration pieces. These aren't just you know any video that any old person can record. These are productions. These are high quality productions and they're convenient you can take the courses anytime you want from your computer tablet or mobile device and then each course is structured so that you can learn from start to finish or just jump in the middle somewhere to find a quick answer to some problem that's been bugging you and the courses are broken into bite-sized pieces so if you got 15 minutes to spare or 15 hours you can learn at your own pace on your own terms. And one low price of 25 bucks gives you unlimited access to the entire library. So we've worked out a deal with lynda.com so that uh, you can get a special offer to access the entire library for free, this is for TWIP listeners, for seven days. So just visit lynda.com slash TWIP to try lynda.com free for seven days. Once again, that's lynda, L-Y-N-D-A dot com slash TWIP to try it out for seven days. And I'll tell you, I'm using that seven-day trial right now to uh, get up to speed on Adobe Audition. So, you know, of course, I'm a member of the Adobe Creative Cloud, so I have access to all of Adobe software, and we're doing some pretty interesting things on in the TWIP universe, kind of stepping things up or stepping our game up a little bit. And I found myself needing to learn how to use Adobe Audition, which is their audio editing software. Well, when I first launched it, I was like, oh, oh boy, here we go. You know, so my first step was YouTube, and I jumped around and found some tutorials on YouTube, but then I went to Linda and boom, there it is, an entire course laid out for everything I need to know about Adobe Audition and I'm getting up to speed very quickly. So once again, try them out, get access to everything they have in their library for free, over 2,400 courses and just, uh, just head over to lynda.com slash twip and everything will just work from there. And we thank Linda for their support of This Week in Photo. All right, guys, let's close the show off, uh, and we'll do our Pick of the Week segment. This is the segment where you guys can recommend something to the audience, as long as it's somehow related to photography. Evgeny, I'm going to let you go first. What is your Pick of the Week? Absolutely. Uh, one thing that I found last week, and I tweeted about that, because when I saw this, it's crazy. So it's not exactly photo-related, it's more video-related. Mm -hmm. uh, it's called Feiyu G3 Ultra Handheld Stabilizer for GoPro Hero 3 Jeez. 3 axis. <laughs> I know. I, um, it costs. Did they come up with an acronym bucks. or something? <laughs> yeah, they probably made they probably made it up. Uh, but what it does, you, if you go uh, on the link um, and um, see a couple of videos, it just makes your video with GoPro instead of shaky, horrible video. It makes it like Hollywood quality, so it's as smooth as butter, and it's something that you can use for you know drone photography or drone videos, for motorcycle videos or photos. So for anything that um, just kind of like that you might shoot with GoPro, it just mm -hmm. in insanely improves the picture. I've never seen anything like that, so I was super impressed. 
That's cool. You know what? I want to add on to that. Uh, I know our friends at Sony are over there shaking their fists because they have the um, the Sony Action Cam, which is a competitor to GoPro, but it has built-in Sony Steadicam or whatever whatever Sony's proprietary stabilization yeah. software is that has that built into it, whereas GoPros doesn't yet. This is this is even better. This is yeah. Uh, I'm looking at it. This looks yeah. like Steadicam action, moving shots, crane shots, and all that kind of yeah. stuff from a yeah. GoPro. Yeah, so that's like Hollywood quality. Uh, I'm sure Hollywood is laughing right now, but you know, <laughs> close to that as yeah. it can get for 370 bucks. Oh, that's so, cool. Yeah. I may have to get that though. That is really cool. Wow. Okay. Yeah, and it looks cool too. Yeah. Hmm. Awesome. Yeah, 370. Cool. Thanks a lot. That's a that's a good pick of the week. Thanks, you, Vinny. Doug K, what's your uh, what's your pick? Um, my first pick is somebody to deal with all the comments and complaints I get from the last thing I just mentioned. <laughs> 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 um, but other than that, uh, a piece of software I've really enjoyed is called Raw Digger, R-A-W-D-I-G-G-E-R at rawdigger.com. And this is a 1995 $20 piece of software uh, that lets you look at your raw files before anything touches them. So you can actually see what's in the raw file, and then it has a huge amount of analytical data. Oh, this is done by people who know so much more about raw files than anybody I know. It breaks it. I've learned so much about what's in a raw file just from this piece of software. So if you want to see what your sensor is really capturing before it gets into uh, Lightroom or Photoshop, or what's that other one? Uh, 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 oh, yeah, Aperture. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> that other one. Um, oh, Who's using that anyway? Yeah. Um, sure. If you want to see what they're really like, if you want to see what's really going on, and it'll give you some clues as to how to best expose your raw images. All this business about expose to the right, protect the highlights. You look at what's in your raw files, and you might be quite surprised at what's there. So check it out, rawdigger.com. There are three versions. Uh, you can spend more than 1995 because you can get versions that will allow you to actually write the kinds of tools that go into Lightroom to process raw files, but I don't think anybody I know needs to do that. Again, Doug, looking at this and even looking at the screen screenshots of things, like, I just want to take pictures. Can I just go take pictures? Do I really have to put on a lab coat just to look at my raw this data? Is, this is why I'm only here once every six months because <laughs> there's, there's, I think... Um, uh, for the next six months, sorry for your own good. <laughs> well, this is this is why you you uh, you know pushed me off onto my own show because we keep <laughs> saying on Twip it's not about the gear. And we say, all right, get this guy K out of the way, give him his own damn show. Let him. <laughs> let's put him in a sandbox where he can talk about his gear with, right. without worrying about getting getting. Because caught. the rest of the world doesn't care, but if you do care. See, we don't I have. Know, we don't I'm have sure to. people care, but I, you know, like we wow, don't have picks of the that's week. That's a lot of data. We need we need to put picks of the week on all about the gear. But anyway, yeah, this is this is fun. And if you ever want to geek out, this is one way to do it. Yeah, I'm looking at that. I'm like, well, you know, I want to look at. Should I be looking at the the raw image data for the four terabytes of images that I have? <laughs> and then what's that going to tell me? You know, or do or is the use case that okay, I'm shooting and 
I need to run it through this software to see if it was truly overexposed in the highlights by one micrometer. You know, no, I'll take, I'll take, if you want to know the shortcut, take one raw file, look yeah. at it in this application, compare it to the compare the histogram to the histogram on the back of your camera, and I think you'll be surprised. Okay. All right, I may have to do it just to see what all the Doug K. Is about. <laughs> it's only twenty bucks, right? Twenty, nineteen ninety-five. It's save a nickel. All right, cool. All right, guys, quickly. My pick is an app that my friend Jeremy Coward told me about. Um, it's Pixie Set. P i x i e s e t. And Evgeny, I'm happy you're on because I wanted to compare and contrast. It's not so much compare, but just sort of bring up the Pixie Set is a client photo gallery for photographers, but they're targeting their thing at like people that are shooting portraits and models and weddings and they need to display an awesome looking gallery just to those people that they can then go click and go buy 8x10s, 11x14s and all that stuff from. Um, but it does it in a customized way. Conversely, 500 picks is like, I'll let you say it, Evgeny. What's, your, what's the mission statement for 500 picks? It's a forest sharing platform for all photographers. So uh, everyone is creative, and we just want to enable that creativity in everyone. Mm -hmm. uh, having said that, Pixasad is made by proud Canadians. I just looked it up. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, yes, it's good. <laughs> awesome, cool. Yeah, yeah. I can. I you know your your Canadian accent throws me off every time. So. <laughs> Not not just you. I cannot use the Xbox voice activated anything. Like you know, Siri. Nobody gets me. So oh, that's awesome! Pretty, I never thought about that. Sad and lonely world there. <laughs> that's awesome. I never thought about that. Oh, interesting. Cool. All right. Anyway, Pixie Set. It's a client photo gallery for photographers. I think they have a bunch of plans. Like I think they even start out free, where you can get in there and uh, play around with it. I'm always on the hunt for the perfect photo gallery for like, if I'm doing a, a corporate shoot and I need to dump a bunch of images somewhere and send a link and a password to someone so that they can look through them. You know, that's not my pristine sort of 500 pics experience with the social and, you know, all that stuff in there. It's not Flickr, obviously, because you're not going to send clients there. It, you know, it's kind of like a, a smug mug, but with all, all, all the power that smug mug has in there. It's almost like if you took one feature of smug mug and put it over here, this is what it would be, you know, like the gallery, just the gallery-specific features. So, yeah, definitely check it out. At least give the page a look. We'll link to it in the show notes for this particular episode. All right, guys, we are at the end of another episode of This Week in Photo. Once again, I want to thank our friends Squarespace and Lynda.com for their support of the show. Without them, there would be no This Week in Photo. So, yeah, definitely uh, check out their sites. Yevgeny, where would you like folks to go to keep up with what you have going on and all that good stuff? Yeah, it's still the usual spot, so uh, it's probably boring to death to everybody else. Uh, 500px.com slash my last name. Uh, mm -hmm. It's spelled T-C-H-E-B-O-T-A-R-E-D. If you're lost, uh, it's right here, or I think it's going to be linked somewhere. Yeah. Uh, yeah, go check it out. Awesome. And thanks for coming on. I always appreciate having you on. Always a pleasure. All right. Mr. Doug K., what about you? Where can people go to check you out and see some of these reviews you're doing and find you in the Arcanum and all that crazy stuff? That's right. Well, you can always start at DougK.com because from there you can get to all about the gear. Um, but I spend most of my time on Google+. Plus. 
Uh, I want to put in a plug for 500px.com because uh, aside from the fact that it scares people away sometimes, it does have some of the best photography online, oh, yeah. none of which is mine, but you can find me on 500px.com at slash D-K-A-Y-E. Very good. Awesome. I think I'm on 500px at Frederick Van, so just slash Frederick Van. You can find me there. All the cool kids are there, so listeners, if you're not on 500px, come on. you got to be there. <laughs> All the good names are taken. <laughs> <laughs> yes, like Frederick Van. Sorry. Frederick Van is taken. Yeah, it's gone. Can't have it. Cool. All right, guys, uh, listeners, if you want to uh, visit our website, you can do so at thisweekinphoto.com. Or if you want to touch base with me directly, you can find me on my site at frederickvan.com. And there you'll find my bio that Yevgeny is going to plagiarize. <laughs> <laughs> All right, with that, it is time to take that lens cap off. This Week in Photo is a Pixelcore.tv production, produced by Suzanne Llewellyn, with technical producers John Riley and Alutha Jamakar.